we're so pleased to have now Sonny Vaccaro is from Pittsburgh and one of the most famous people from Pittsburgh is Bruno Sammartino and his nickname is the living legend but I really think Sonny you are the living legend so can I just take that nickname and use it for a second because I'm so pleased to have you on Iron Sports today we're trying to be modest young man but you can use it. <laughs> Go, ahead. Go for it. Well, you mentioned Sonny in a, in a, in a documentary. It talks about uh, you said you wish you were on Mount Rushmore. And, and you said if you would assign LeBron James to Adidas, you'd be on it. I, I, I think if there's a Mount Rushmore of non-players uh, who play, you know, in terms of no Michael Jordan's Kobe Bryant, but talk about executives and coaches, you got John Naismith who started the game, then you, and then maybe we start maybe David Stern or something like that. But that you are on Mount Rushmore. It's hard to – you're probably you know, second after Naismith on that round. Well, you're being uh, nice and you're a Pennsylvanian, and, and I appreciate what you're saying, but w w what we do in real life is accept what real life presents to us. I'm not on there. I'm still living. And <laughs> whatever, whatever happens, uh, happens, but I'm very pleased to where I am personally and that God gave me 83 years to live and to talk you know, about the game of basketball, which basically was my life, and, uh, and it gave me a head start. So I appreciate the saying. How does um, a football player from Trafford, uh, outside Pittsburgh High School, goes to Youngstown State, start the number one high school basketball tournament in all of the country in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? By accident. <laughs> That's, there's no, uh, or there, there's no way you can, uh, you know, categorize my life. Mostly everything in my life since the beginning. Uh, you know, I was born in '39, so I was a a child of the world war, you know, and all my family was in that thing, although I have no idea I was only, you know, born then. But I, I came through as an immigrant family like most of us in Western Pennsylvania and a lot all over America at that time. But what happened to me happened, you know, I was never supposed to go to college. I was never supposed to do all these things and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden I did a lot of things. And it happened by happenstance. You know, I didn't, you know, I can't explain it to the world, but every Every chore, every game, everything I ever did, I didn't think I was going to do until I did it. I hope that explains a little bit, but that's who I am. My mind, I'm wired differently. I always have been. I've sort of been an independent cusp with, uh, with a lot of ideas in my head. And going to Youngstown State, I was supposed to play football. I never did. The basketball coach was assistant football coach who had a liking for me. And how he ever did, because I was only there for, for a month before preseason, he asked me, if I can help them get them basketball players from the Pittsburgh area to go to Youngstown State, which was pretty good in Division Two at that time in the late 50s, and uh, and then keep me on scholarship. I was the worst player on my basketball team <laughs> in a Class B school, so now you know, going to a great, you know, a great school, won state championships in the highest caliber ratings in Pennsylvania at the time. You know, it was a non-entity, but there was something about my personality. I go to Youngstown. I start getting involved with kids from the Pittsburgh area, coaching them, playing in what would be a precursor to what the AAUs are today. You know, they were just local kids from 15 miles away from Trafford that I started with, taking them to in-house tournaments, and that's what they were called. They were ones like at the, at the Braddock Y, the Jewish Y, uh, you know, those kind of things, somebody's high school gym, Salvation Army. And then I take the kids from Braddock, Pickton, Rackin, you know, Seriously, within 25 miles of my hometown, because basketball was a key sport in Western Pennsylvania in the late, early 60s. 
that was you know, winning the WPIL or state championship were just as big as winning football. In fact, even more famous because we actually acknowledged that we were going to have a WPIL champ. We never had that in football. We, we used until the Big East or the, uh, the, the Big Thirty Three game. Football, although it was a preeminent sport, you know there was no question about it. Every great university in America had a great kid from Pennsylvania on their football team. There's no question about that. And basketball was few, and you know most of the kids went to you know colleges. What I want to tell the public is, I was pretty successful with these kids that I was only three or four years older than. Right. Now, and they and I think just to, to jump on that point, I'm from Altoona, Pennsylvania. We I got introduced to you from Mike Isolito, who we've had on this show, who's the coach of Robert Morris, who was a, a played in the NBA, played in Italy. Um, and but people think about Indiana basketball, you know, the great tradition. But the tradition in Western Pennsylvania basketball and, and Philadelphia basketball all throughout Pennsylvania is tremendous. So you really were in the hotbed in the sixties and seventies in basketball, which is Pennsylvania is sort of underlooked, you know, in, in time. Well, in time, in history, and still yet till today, I mean, it's gone down a little bit. But my point is, when you said Indiana and the Hoosiers and all the movies and all that stuff, you have to understand one thing here, okay? From Let's just go from Chicago West. The California kids weren't even existent then. It was all football, and all the football players used to go to junior college, you know, out there, because we didn't have media like we have today. And the Dapper Down was the first game to do that. But to go to your, your question... We know about Indiana. They, they, they were smaller than Western Pennsylvania, the state. I mean, there weren't that many. But you have history because that was the history. It wasn't football or baseball. Baseball was the second most popular sport. We had as many kids in, in major leagues or in the minor leagues, which was a great job at that time because that's why I thought someday I'd play it, to be honest with you. But Indiana, the Hoosiers, all that, they were, they were things – indigenous to their town to their and everybody knew about the hoosiers everybody watched those films everybody knew about christmas audits no one knew about pennsylvania until dapper dem so what we have here is once the, i got involved in these small tournaments got involved and then my my best friend at that time pat the caesar and i started the dapper dem round ball classic then the game was over because the round ball classic opened the doors to what Pennsylvania was in all sports. Because we were 13 years ahead of the McDonald's All-Star Game. Your public probably has no idea what I'm talking about. Ladies and gentlemen, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Death Brown Ron Ball Classic, greatest game in Civic Arena, unbeknownst to the world other than the local teams, 13 years ahead of McDonald's. So I say to you, the talent was always there. And I say it's because we used to say the water we drank in Western Pennsylvania because kids from not only Western Pennsylvania, because you mentioned Philadelphia, but you mentioned Philadelphia in a different way than you said Pittsburgh. Philadelphia wasn't like football in Pittsburgh. Philadelphia was basketball, the big five. No football schools were winning national championships in the big five. You know, Pitt, Penn State, and then you go across the river and got Ohio State. Football was preeminent, West Virginia, but they were all playing for whatever they were at that time. But it was always basketball, the Sunny Hill League in Philadelphia. Sunny was one of the originators of, you know, youth basketball. But they were they were in a 25 or a 50 mile radius. So when you went out to Allentown or Altoona and Johnstown and those things, that was outreach. But in 1965, it was Pittsburgh. So, so all the I I, I won't be forgiven for this because you're going to tell me about the movies, but Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania 
eastern United States was the birth of basketball. Because if you go to New York, again, you don't get football. You get, you know, this park, that park. Everybody was at some park playing basketball, you know, under the damn trees and a goalpost uh, uh, a telephone pole. Or they build a, a slab with concrete on it and the kids played in, you know, the, the, the parks. But basketball was the easiest sport to play because you can go inside in the winter, go outside in the summer. You only took five guys. And that was the that was the real birth, but they'll never be recognized. And, you know, the people will think you're crazy. <laughs> they can't rewrite history, Ira. That's where it started. So go ahead, take me somewhere else because I'm, I'm enjoying this. And I don't want you to run out of time. We're, we have play, No, I, it's my show. We can we have as much time as I as I as I want. But the uh, and, and as much as because your stories and there's nothing we can be talking about more important than talking to you. Um, I love the story, though, that you're at Penn Trafford. It's Trafford High School. It's Penn Trafford now. You're yeah. running the Dapper Dan Round Draw Classic. You're having college coaches come around the country to see these high school kids. Nobody else is doing that. And then you came up with the idea of making tennis shoes. Where did this come idea to have tennis shoes? And I know that there's a lot of manufacturing areas in that area of Trafford, so you probably went and met people about how to make a better shoe. Yeah, that's even more illogical, the shoe, than the round ball, because I only made the shoe because I started a camp at Seven Springs. Uh, once I started round ball, about two years later, I decided to uh, open a, a basketball camp like all the coaches, make a couple bucks in the summertime. And I went to Seven Springs, Bond Resort. I was a ski resort. You should remember that. One of the one of the best in the country, still. Yeah. They only used it in the wintertime. And I had a lawyer friend named Jimmy Morocco uh, from Trafford who knew people. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a camp. I'm going to make a couple bucks. So we went there and Jimmy negotiated a price. So we used the Seven Springs Mountain Resort for skiing in the winter to make Sonny Vaccaro's Big Ten camp in basketball. Well, that's that's where the shoe came in. So about 68, 69, 70, I don't know when, the kids were coming to the camp. And one day, swear to God, just said this story a thousand times, a young man comes up to me. We're walking up from the hill where the courts were to have lunch in the, you know, where the heck we ate, you know, lunch at those times in, in the, one of the rooms. And uh, he said, Mr. McCarron, Mr. McCarron, I said, yeah, I'll call him Charlie because I have no idea what his name was. Uh, I said, I'd like to talk to you. And I said, yeah, Charlie, what would you like to And ladies and gentlemen, this, this is the fact. He said to me, Mr. McCarron, could you, you know, because he thought I knew everything. We were, you know, I was running a camp. I was, you know, somebody important to him, I guess. He said, do you think they can make a tennis shoe that we could wear everywhere? Because these tennis shoes, because in those days, he was poor. In those days, and I can attest to that, a kid wears tennis shoes to church, to school, to the dance. A tennis shoe was the everyday thing until there was a term in Western Pennsylvania called clodhoppers. Clodhoppers are the ones with the big up-to-your-ankle thing, and they were made of leather and heavy as hell that you wore in the wintertime. And if you were poor, you wore a tennis shoe or a clodhopper most of the year in Western Pennsylvania. He says that to me, and I say, you know, Charlie, I call him Charlie. I, I wasn't a name, I just made it up as I was going along in my life. And um, I say, I'll show you. A few years pass. Nike comes in my mind as a new company, and I thought of this idea because I was then working for the ABA and recommending college players to go right to the ABA from high school or college because they had no age limit. You know, the NBA wasn't letting kids in until they graduated. And, um, so I, I was hired by the ABA in the, in the 1970s to introduce them to players who played in my round ball, who became big stars in the, in the uh, 
college world to sign a contract with the ABA. And I wasn't an agent. My deal was, I believe to this day, it was a lot of money, so it might have been 50, I don't know. But they paid me, I, I keep thinking 3000 for some reason, but it was a hell of a lot of money in the 1970s for sure. Um, for every player I introduced them to, I wasn't the agent, and I introduced them to players, and if they signed to the ABA, I'd make my, my money. You know, that's, that's what it was. So I was then really involved. I mean, I had the ABA guys. I represented George Gerber's contract, you know, on my own eventually. And so I'm, I'm hustling. So this company opens up. A friend of mine call, you know, tells me there's a new company, blah, blah, blah. But the most important thing he said, I, I remember Charlie. I said, Jerry, you know, um, you know, can you introduce me to these people? I got an idea about the shoe. He did because he had a great player, you know, that you know was signed by Nike at that time, and uh, and I, I go out to Nike. I pay the you know the hundred thirty five dollar one way. I don't know what it was, but the hundred thirty five dollar ticket I wanted them yet to go beat them in Oregon to talk about my new set of shoes, not the ones I'm designing. That my uh, my buddy in Trafford, Bobby DiMinaldo, the son of a uh, son of a son shoemaker from Italy, and Bobby designs me nine shoes to take to Nike. I put them in a burlap sack, the old potato sack. That's what they call them in, in the 1970s. Or, yeah, 70s. And I take them to Nike and I show them these shoes. They looked at all my shoes. And did you one. Did you talk to Phil Knight? Did you meet Phil Knight when no, you went there? I, Phil, I, I met Phil Knight and Rob Strasser. That's how my life started. I didn't know. I didn't know any of them. I never met him before. I was going to do But they were, but they were a running shoe company at that time. They were only I, almost I, running shoes. See, the whole point of this story I'm telling you now, Mr. Ira, is this. They had no idea what the hell basketball was. They had one basketball team, <laughs> one basketball team, the University of Oregon, and they gave him because that's because Phil was a heck of a runner there, and that, and his his boss helped him create Blue Ribbon Sports. So, you know that story. They didn't take my shoes, but they they wanted to get involved with me. I go back for the second meeting. They invite me out, blah blah blah, and they said, "How do we get involved?" They asked me a question. How do we get involved with getting basketball? Uh, uh, shoes on, on our players. And I said, for history, no one wants to, well, you have to believe it, it's the truth. Uh, I said, pay the coaches. And that came out of my mouth, just like I said, pay Jordan, you know, eight years later. But my point to you is, they should pay the coaches. You know, Phil Knight has a heart attack, Rob Strauss is ready to die. <laughs> I said, well, you pay the coaches, you'll get the shoes, you give them all free coaches, give them the shoes for the whole team, give them sweatshirts and give them t-shirts for their camps. And the players will wear the shoes. And I just want to jump in. In in, in this those times, schools, the top basketball schools, actually bought their own shoes. Like they paid for shoes, they paid for shirts, they paid for everything. That was stuffing like out of their budget that they had to buy for all these things. And that's why, that's why this honorable corporation called the NCAA they closed their eyes. That's why they could have said a long time ago, can't do it. But they didn't. Why? Because Sonny said to Phil and Rob. Give them the shoes for nothing. <laughs> what? Then I said, pay them. What? It's, we're in debt before we sell a shoe. I said, you are, but you're not selling any shoes now. My point, do you understand what I just said you are? Yes. Do you understand public? They, they sold no shoes, so they listened to me. And we got the kids. You know, the only thing I'm mad about 100 years later, but we finally got it done with O'Bannon, is the sense that I said, pay the, you know, the kids will wear the shoes. So that was always in my mind. That was the story of Sonny Vaccaro and Nike. Rob comes, he flies to Pittsburgh. It's now 1977. 
Eugene Banks, okay, Albert King, you know, Wayne McCoy, all these great, great players. We were playing the Dapper Dam. Why then they enlarged the Civic Arena. 17,900 people or something like that. They enlarged it. That's one with the roof on top and all that stuff. Rob Strassen comes to that game. You see 17,000 people. She sees over 200 college coaches and assistant coaches in Pittsburgh for the whole four days. He gets back out. That's when they hired me <laughs> to put the shoes on the high school kids. That's how I got you from the shoemaker. By the way, they never gave me my shoes back. Some of them had Velcro. Some of them were white. Some of them, we called, we had air holes in them, but they weren't like Air Jordan with, with foam on the bottom. He, he cut holes in the sides of the shoe so air would go through the, 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 uh, the leather. So that would be, that was, and, and no toes, and a bicycle shoe. Seriously, all that. <laughs> And so explain, but the, the scene though, people understand that the Civic Arena is a weird arena. They actually had it was it's demolished now. That's where the yeah. the Penguins play at their new the new place. But um, the the roof opened up. There's no arena I can think of in the in the world that has an indoor arena where the roof opens up. If you saw the movie The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh, that was in that. But then every college coach was there. Every high school player was there. It was the center of the universe for all of basketball, which was there in Pittsburgh for what the event you were putting on. 13 years before McDonald's. That year we played 77, they still are calling it the Capital Classic in Baltimore. Just so they understand, because you've got a lot of import Easterners down there from New York and Pennsylvania and Florida. Just so they understand. <laughs> 13 years before, Dapper Dan, Sonny Vaccaro, Pat DeCesar, all the kids from Pennsylvania. We were as good as anybody. That was always my idea. Only they only centralized their eyes on football and baseball at that time. As I, I said before, that baseball was really the second most popular sport because we had a lot of guys go to the minor leagues and all that. And that's where I thought I'd be someday. I hoped that I'd be a minor league player for the Pirates or some damn thing. <laughs> so, but anyway, that's how it's all started. So, so we jump. We jump from there. We jump from there, and now. The movie out that we can I went to on Sunday morning to see for the it was absolutely amazing. I'm not a big fan of sports movies, but Air I was crying in it. It was great. It was tremendous. I they found this actor Matt Damon, and I, do you think Matt Damon? I mean, in terms of I know you were a very good looking gentleman back in those days. Do you think he does justice though? I mean, of uh, you in this movie, but uh, because uh, you know I people you know seem to like Matt Damon a lot. No, I am I am enthralled. I am indebted to Matt. I will go into history, look like Matt, but remember, by son, but remember that I'm Sonny Vaccaro. So that's going to be a lot better when I'm gone by 90, 90 more years because Matt did a great job of what he's supposed to be doing, okay, acting. So a lot of the scenes in there, well, not a lot, but you know, the scenes I'm in with Matt, I made a lot of speeches. That last scene you're maybe talking about, you know, well, I did start, I, I love to talk. I talked to over 50 universities and colleges over these years. I, my camp every year, I'd give the sunny speech. I'm pretty good at that, but it usually takes me an hour, like I am with your show. You're going to have to edit half of this. <laughs> I'm not editing it. We're going to break it up into two. Okay. Don't worry. Okay. okay. But my point there is when, when Matt, when Matt eloquates Sonny Vaccaro's voice, damn, that'll be like friends, Romans, and countrymen, lend me your ear. That'll be like a state of the union, you know, speech. He's, when he does the speech from the video, to his mind of why we signed Michael, that that happened in my mind. He they thought of the the, 
the scene, that scene is unbelievable to film because it spells out exactly what was in my mind two years earlier than at the, at the Georgetown North Carolina game. But the speech at the end when we're you're selling the thing to, to Phil Knight to make sure he signs the last damn deal with, with Dolores. And, you know, so yes, I am forever grateful to Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and, and the other nine people in the, the movie. And, and again, Viola Davis and the, the scene with David Falk and all of you guys should know who the hell David is. Those are memorable. I mean, they, they are, they're really all right. So yes, I'm glad that Matt's going to be up there for a thousand years and, and somebody might watch it. So people don't, when they see the movie, the, the scene they're talking about, the scene, he, one of the scenes he's talking about is at the end of the, the movie, when he's trying to do the final pitch to Michael, they had a video montage up, he turned it off. And then he just starts to talk and, and says just what he's going to be. And he goes, and so they showed the videos of Michael's life. And you don't see Michael at all, just Sonny, which is Matt Damon, talking. And it's so powerful. And then the last line was like, a thousand years from now, people will not remember anyone else in this room, but they're going to remember you. And I thought it was so funny when Ben Affleck at the end said, they might remember as Phil Knight said, I hope, I think they're going to remember me too. I think I'll be remembered. But it was so powerful. I was bawling watching that. It was amazing. Tremendous. And you know what? That, those words, not exactly like Matt said, just like uh, Vi- Viola doing Mrs. Jordan. Mrs. Jordan made a speech that day. She was there basically to verify that Nike wasn't going to cheat her on the contract. That was because we were giving her a percentage. She had known that, but she was emphasizing it. We're not signing this damn thing. But they got out there. I sort of knew, even from the flow of the movie, oh, like I said, something was improvised and all that. She she was coming to sign it. She just didn't want to be, you know, messed with, basically. But when Viola ends, ends up, you know, giving the laughing, and I don't want to go over on, on your radio show, it's, it's it's one of the great scenes, in, you know, in a lot of movies. I mean, well, obviously, these people are brilliant. But, but Ben actually nailed Bill Knight, and Chris Messina nailed David Falk. You you probably should know that one time David Falk was the biggest agent in the world and the biggest right, guy he asked right. in the world. And, uh, you know, and he had Michael Jordan. I mean, so he had this gold mine, right? It's like planes out in the movie shows. But, the, you know, there, there's a liberty. It's a, it's a movie. It's not a documentary. But, you know, the movie, it tells you it took three and a half months there was, you know, all, there were five meetings. I'm the only one from Nike in all five meetings with the people there. I mean, all this thing's going to prove one thing: that Michael was hard to get. And I never saw him again until after the Tony Rock. I didn't see Michael until Oregon either. I met the other people along the line. You know, I met when I called Mrs. Jordan. I, there was only conversations with Mrs. Jordan, you know, to make sure that we hooked up. And so all these things did happen. In that order, but talk but about difficult. how talk about how difficult it was. You you worked at Nike. Um, he played at at North Carolina wearing Converse shoes, and yeah. he wanted to, liked Adidas because he liked the track suits that Adidas had. And he hardly would even take a meeting with you. And you're like the first the first thing you had to do in the shows and the movie and whatever is to convince the people at Nike that we have to go after Jordan. We're not going to just throw. We have two hundred fifty thousand. We're not going to throw fifty thousand here, fifty thousand here, fifty thousand here. We're going to spend it all on one player. You had to convince them on that and that's the the whole speech so talk about a little about how you convinced everybody at at, at nike and schooling phil knight that we're going to put everything at all our eggs in one basket ira that's the story of the jordan story if it doesn't get past that meeting i was only invited to that meeting i never was involved now by then i had seven years of 
the shoes on the college teams. We had then we were then going on our third national championship with you know with, with Georgetown with Villanova and with Jimmy Valvano at, uh, at North Carolina State. Right? We had eighty schools in our shoe. We were the we made our money on the college program. Like if you were at Syracuse, you had orange. You're at, you know Georgetown, you had blue. Whatever. We had colors match the uniforms. We were successful. I was invited. I didn't know that they were on the ropes. I had no idea. Rob invited me to Oregon for a day to go over a new thing. I had no idea until we were getting there. So it's a day ahead of time. I get in early like I always do when you go to this morning thing. And what he's going to do, he invited five people to this meeting, plus him and some other people, obviously, but five people are going to have like both. Joe and he said, we're going busted. They were dropping pros. They were trying to sell the contracts by the athletes who they had pros. They had a lot of pros didn't even play that they were giving money. The most money they ever gave anybody was $100,000, and that was Moses and somebody else. Yet most of the guys got $50,000, and, and some of them didn't even wear the damn shoe. I mean, <laughs> this is what it was. So they were going to cut back, and they had $500,000 total in their basketball budget. So they asked the five of us. The other people knew what it was about. I had no idea. And they put the list of the draft that year. That was one of the great drafts of all time with you know, Elijah Wan, Stockton, Jordan, you know, Charles. I mean, I mean, you know, almost everybody played in the NBA, got drafted. So it was a great draft. The only time, here's the key to the whole sequence. The only time I ever saw, like, he did not play in the Dapper Dan Roundball Classic. I didn't pick him. He wasn't the best high school player in America at that time. That's all bullshit, okay? George, or, uh, North Carolina actually picked a guy before, and it's in the movie, before they picked him, and he transferred. Because we saw whatever. This guy transferred. That's in the movie, okay? And I never met Dean Smith in my life. They wore Converse. I was there to watch Georgetown play North Carolina. John, the Hoyas were, John was one of my best friends. The Hoyles were one of our best schools, obviously, for selling shoes. Patrick Ewing and three other guys in that team played in the Dapper Dan Ball Classic. And I knew Patrick personally because of that through his whole career at Georgetown. And, and I knew all the kids. So I didn't give a damn about Michael Jordan. The game's over. In my mind, in my mind, Ira, I never forgot that shot. But I'll, I'll bet you a dime to a donut. I never thought about or brought up Michael Jordan for the next two years in my life. And I certainly never met him. So now, we're at that meeting. It's my turn. Only God knows, because I can't explain it. But I had somebody with a little more education than I did try to explain it. I asked him, I asked this person one time, what is it in your son? And I asked only after this, I was involved with this movie. I had to figure out a damn answer. Why? I said, what is it when you remember something that you completely forgot, and then all of a sudden you remember it? And this person undoctorly un- was well Sonny it's not hard you go through life and you know it's like when you're a young person you take pictures of your baby pictures and all that you certainly don't remember that because you're too young then you go to a class reunion or whatever and you see a bunch of guys now you don't see him for 30 years you don't see him for a month and then all of a sudden you see oh my god that's Jimmy you know huh? you know, you, forgot, you forget about him you don't bring Jimmy up again what's the point you got there well that's why I deal with Jordan so it's now two years later a little more than two years okay the, the game was played we're talking about 84 now. And Strasser asked me that question. And by my quote, it's been in every paper in the world, so I didn't lie. I didn't make it up on the spot. How the hell could I make it up? I said, give it to the kid. 
I said, and they said, the natural thing. What kid? Well, the kid from North Carolina, Jordan. I didn't even say Jordan. I only subconsciously remember why, why, ladies and gentlemen, listen. Jordan was 18 years old when he took that damn shot. He took that shot. He beat Georgetown. We lost. He won. He wasn't, you know, worthy was supposed to take that shot. Perkins was supposed to take that shot. No, they had four guys that played in the NBA. And, 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 and Worthy did all that. I mean, he was the most theological. Now, when Damon does the thing, now I didn't, I, I, that, that's his feel. That, but subconsciously, I never forgot about it. They all argued with me. The other people all there said, you've got to give it to two. Maybe let's just split up. And then I said, because Strasser asked me that question after they rebutted. But just to, just to add, the point is that in those times, in, in, in 84, Michael Jordan was not the GOAT that we see think of him right now. I, I, he, is, he was not in the Tom Brady last pick in the seventh round category, those type of things. But he was not viewed as can't miss. It, it, again, he went third in the draft. If everybody knew it was Michael Jordan, he would have gone first in the draft. So the point is that it was, a, it was an issue whether, how, you know, there was a question whether Jordan was going to be a good pro or not. Well, there was a big question, and in fact, there was a lot of different opinions. My point to you is, yeah, and I wasn't like, you know, I had no idea because I had no idea that I had this eye or whatever for, for talent. I, I mean, but I, when I, you know, as I said before, like, picking high school kids, I, I just knew something about them, seeing whatever. But that's before, that's before Kobe and Tracy and Jermaine and LeBron, where it became, there's something inside of me that does that. I only remembered the damn shot. He beat Georgetown in my psychological mind. I'm, this isn't Sonny, a doctor talking to your audience. This is Sonny, the person trying to learn about Sonny, the person. The guy says to me, it was so deeply rooted in you, in my mind. I never forgot it. And I just thought, that time, in person, how the hell did this kid have enough guts to do it? And if you go through my life, and you go through these other kids that I talked about later in my life, it rang true to Picking kids for the upper dam, the first five, six, seven, eight years, I didn't really see all those kids. I saw the Western Pennsylvania kids. I'd make a trip to Philadelphia. I, you know, I could, if I could drive to the, the, the St. Rita's up in, uh, uh, up in Detroit, not Rita's, Sud or whatever it was, or down to the Dust Bowl in, uh, in uh, Louisville, I'd do that later on. The first couple of years, I was on the phone or picking up Parade Magazine. So going to Jordan, here's what they said to me. And one guy named Howard Slasher, who was a big name, he worked for Nike and he was a big agent. I never understood that. Either. But that's, that's Phil's, that was Phil's thing. But anyway, he says to me, and he certainly had a lot more clout than I did, he said, Sonny, what happens if the kid gets hurt? And I said to him, documented, I said, what difference does it make if these three guys you're going to give the money to don't move the needle? I said that, something like that. The point I was making was they had good basketball players wearing the shoe. Moses Malone was one of the greatest players ever to play. You know, George Gurl was one of the greatest players ever. They had guys wearing Nike, just no one was paying attention to them. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying, Ira? Yes, 100%.